Well, I'm just going to say it. He's not here because he's at a Dallas Cowboys game. <clears throat> if you're visiting with us this morning, my name's Carol Malarski. My husband's the pastor, and he's been a Cowboys fan since the fourth grade. So someone gave him the opportunity to go to a game today at the stadium, and that's never happened to him before in his life. So that's where he's at. Now, yeah, I hope they win. Pray they win. If you came here today and you were hoping that the pastor was not a Cowboys fan, there are churches out there that have pastors that are not Cowboys fans. I um, Coastal Life, he is a Cowboys fan, so you can cross that one off. I called my friend Jenny over at Covenant. She said her husband's a Bucks fan. So there's others out there, but I really think you should give Gordon a try. <laughs> Every week, Gordon will stand by the door and greet people, and that's not because he thinks he's special. It's because he thinks you are. And he likes to say hi to people. And I'll often hear people say to him, the message today, that really spoke to me. It's like, it's like you're in my house. It's like you're following me around in my home and you know what's going on in my world. And the truth is that God is in your home and God does know you and he does know what you're going through. So when we hear scripture and it feels like it's directed right at us, it is. That's the miracle of the Bible. The verses in the Bible are an invitation to join a bigger picture, to join God's plan for our lives. And I want to say this to encourage you, and I want you to hear me on this. The child of God has no idea what their true potential is. The child of God has no idea what their true potential is. When we don't come together and when we don't look at Scripture, then what we're going to do is we're just going to think of things and we're going to let our mind tell us what, what's true. Our mind will create scenarios. Our thoughts will make up stories. And our thoughts create scenarios that are not true and, we, and they're created out of, our, out of our insecurities and our fears and our worries. So we have to fact check our thoughts so we're going to do some fact-checking this morning as we continue our series, Who's Fooling Who? Now, I come from an entire family of musically talented people. My grandfather, he could play the guitar like no one. And then my grandmother played the piano and sang. My dad sang. My mom played the piano and sang. My Aunt Marcia, my Aunt Lanita, Uncle Terry, they all played instruments, sang. My brother won scholarships for singing and sang at Carnegie Hall. And so I had a 100% chance of getting the gene for music talent, and I beat the odds. <laughs> it was kind of weird growing up in a family where every single person sang. And my mom, would, she was my biggest supporter. I mean, I went to voice lessons but you have to have natural ability to build on. And so that wasn't there. She said she tried to teach me the piano, but I had a short attention span. So every time she turned around, I disappeared. So it just wasn't happening for me. If you put me in the middle of a bunch of people, I could sing harmony and I could make you think that maybe I could sing, but you pull me apart from them. And then all I can do to describe myself is almost 
I almost have talent. If you were singing beside me this morning in worship, you would say, so close. You are so close. So being an almost having talent person, um, it was kind of a demotivator for me to sing around the piano with a family. And while we're on this subject, I ran across a few demotivators for you. Um, Discouragement. Because there's nothing standing between you and your goal but a total lack of talent and complete failure of will. I don't know where it went. (laughs) There we go. Then the next one, give up. At some point, hanging in there just makes you look like an even bigger loser. And I didn't even tell you the story about when I was almost a cheerleader. I'll save that insecurity for another talk because everyone in my family had found their thing and I was the quiet introvert that was wondering where I fit in God's design. And it's easy for us to compare ourselves to talented people and seemingly important people wondering where we fit in. And sometimes we overcomplicate things, trying to figure out how God wants to use us. So here's a way that we can simplify this. Just by asking two questions, we ask God, one, what needs to be done? And two, am I the person that God wants to use to do the job? So we're gonna look at a man of God who had no idea what his true potential was. First, I'll give you a little background before we get into Judges chapter six. Israel was a nation that God chose to reveal himself to the world. And the world was supposed to be able to look at Israel and realize that's the one true God. But one of the patterns of behavior that we see about Israel, and we also see it about ourselves, is that when everything's going great, when they had food, they were healthy, they were prosperous, they had everything they needed, then they would drift from God. And when they drifted from God, they would do bad things. The God of the universe wants to be close to them, but when they don't see their need of him, then they drift. So when we begin to think we don't need God, we drift away from God. One of the prayers, and Gordon has said this several times, a good thing to pray is just to put your hand over your heart and say, God, help me see my need of you. I mean, that's something that needs to be said often. Because if Israel could see miraculous things happening one day and then the next day drift, then so can we. When we drift away from God, we get disconnected from the favor of God. And when we get disconnected from the favor of God, then life gets ugly real quick. Ronald Reagan said, if, if we ever forget that we're one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. And that is exactly what's happening in Judges chapter six. Israel drifted, and so God allowed them to be taken over by the Midianites, and he allowed this to go on for seven years. And the Midianites were super cruel to them. They would take everything from them. They would take their food. They would uh, plunder them. They would abuse them. They would take their cattle, act violently, They took whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, and Israel was hurting and hungry and living in caves, and they cried out to God. Mother Teresa said, agony brings you closer to God. And that would seem to be the case here. 
Prayer was their last resort, not their first resort. And Israel thought the problem was Midian, but the real problem was Israel. And when we're outside of God's ideal, don't we tell ourselves the pain in our lives is not our fault? It's the other person or it's the situation. And again, we can't trust our own thoughts. What we tell ourselves is not always accurate. So we get into Judges chapter six, starting at verse 11. It says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So Gideon's threshing wheat, and I know none of us thresh wheat, so we really don't know what that means exactly, but it was a laborious job of separating the edible part from the straw. And he's doing this, and people usually do this in the wide open, but he's doing it somewhere hiding, hiding from the Midianites, trying to keep his food from getting taken. And while he's hiding in humiliation, doing his job, Jesus shows up. And every time God appears to someone in a bodily form in the Old Testament, it's called a theophany. And he appeared many times to people in the Old Testament like that. And that might seem strange to us, but God is not limited at all. And he can communicate to us any way he wants to, anytime he wants to. So the angel of the Lord says, the Lord's with you. And then he calls him a mighty warrior. That wouldn't even make sense but God sees what we can be and God sees who we were created to be, even if we don't. There will come a day when God calls us all to step out, out of fear and into faith. He will call us to rise up and take on an assignment that's far outside our comfort zone because that's what people of faith do. And I heard this quote, and I don't know who said it. There's coming a day when God's heroes will arise in the world and the world will wonder where they came from. One of the reasons that Gordon and I have given our lives to the church is that we believe that the heroes are in the local church. We believe the heroes are right here. And here's Gideon's response when he hears this. Pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord's with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? Now the Lord's abandoned us and given us in the hand of Midian. So he questions God because things aren't great. He's saying, God's not with us. Why is there suffering in the world? He's abandoned us. God did this. And it's a human nature to blame others for the problems that we cause. Have you ever used that bad breakup line when, when you don't want to hurt someone's feelings and you're like, it's not you, it's me. I, I think I used that when I was 15 and then I, another time when I was 18. It's not you, it's me. Well, it really was Israel, but they were not seeing that. He's questioning the Lord's literally right in front of him in a bodily form, and he doesn't recognize God's voice. And that's what happens when we drift. It becomes difficult to discern God's voice. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. 
Am I not sending you? So the Lord's telling him, I'm sending you to save Israel. While you're, why are you settling for dysfunction when you can be a voice of change? Why are you settling for de- defeat? If God's word says, if God's for us, who can be against us? Why aren't you the right person for the job? But he says, pardon me, Lord, how can I save Israel? Because my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. So he sees himself as the weakest of the weak. He says, not only is my family weak, I'm weaker than them. God loves the humble ones. And the humble ones often don't make it in the first round draft picks for the jobs or the big titles or positions. He's an almoster. And the people who do the most good in the world are often the people who have the most reasons not to. They're reluctant leaders. They're background people who saw a need and they just stepped up. They never aspired to it. They just did it. Gideon disqualified himself as a person that God could use, and a lot of us do the same thing. We tell ourselves lies that disqualify us, like, I have to be bold, I have to be outgoing, I have to be a theologian, I need to be freakishly talented, I need to have something special that sets me apart. And we think we have to be somebody important for God to use us. But what I keep seeing in the Bible is people like Gideon, just ordinary people who initially didn't think they had anything to offer. So what about you? How do you disqualify yourself? Some of us, we might be disqualifying ourselves by fear. We're not being beaten, flogged, stoned, or imprisoned for serving God in, in our country, but we have this other problem that's psychological. We have the anxious need to receive affirmation from those around us. Our fear's not of physical pain. Our fear's of unpleasant interactions with people. I get it. We don't want to be rejected. We don't want people to think we're crazy. When I was in Bible college, still trying to figure out what my thing was, I wanted to do outreach, so I joined the evangelism team. And my colleague, he was a really big guy. He had struggled with severe weight issues most of his life, but he was leading the team, and that didn't stop him. Nothing stopped him from his call. One Friday night, he drove us all to what seemed like the meth capital of the world, and he told us to, okay, get out. Go talk to people. Spread out. And then he got into this military voice. Go, 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 go talk to people. Spread out. Don't travel in a group. Spread out. You're going to scare people. And then, and then I got all shook up because I thought, what, what am I doing? It's like we're on a rescue mission. But we were. We were on a rescue mission. And nothing was stopping him. And I watched him. And, you know, when I'm in that situation, five minutes feels like five hours because I'm, I was planning on, my plan was I was gonna walk around with the bold people and they were gonna talk and I was gonna stand there and support them. But I was actually expected to go talk to people. And I watched him and he talked to people as if he was best friends with them. The drug deals were happening right there, prostitution, everything you can think of was right there. And he was talking to them and he was their friend. 
And so I learned something that day. He doesn't just disqualify himself, but my self-talk, I was all wrapped up thinking, I can't do this. I'm not wired for this. I'm not bold enough. Romans 8.31 says, if God's for us, who could ever be against us? We should not disqualify ourselves for fear. Some of us, it might be doubt. When my husband gets a far out idea from God that he feels like we're supposed to do, I immediately ask him, how? How is this gonna happen? And you know, you can how an idea to death because I've done it. (laughs) It became a bad habit and it's a habit that needs to be broken. We have a hard time believing God. How's he gonna pull it off? Unbelief will always take the easy way out. And we're operating with partial knowledge and God's operating with full knowledge, so why should we even doubt? The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Sometimes I get tempted to lean on my understanding. We cannot allow doubt to disqualify us. And then for others, it might be shame. You might not be allowing yourself, you might be holding yourself back because of past failures. But failures are part of the process of life. We all have failures. We come into this world, we actually have to learn every single thing to live in this world. So there's gonna be failures and God doesn't want failures to shut us down. He, he doesn't want us to allow regret to win and he can actually use those past failures to glorify him. So what's in your past can propel you. Some of us, it's because of talent. We're, we're disqualifying ourselves. We think we, gotta, we have to have talent. You know, in starting point, we will give the gifts test. Avery gives the gifts test, and that is supposed to help surface those things that you're good at. Um, the Bible says that we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. It says that in Romans 12, 6. So that means all of us have gifts, all of us. There's not anyone who doesn't have a gift. But one time Avery came back to the office and she said, there's a man that scored zero in everything. If you score zero in everything on the gifts test, the next test is the lie detector test because it's simply impossible according to God's word. All of us have have gifts. The two greatest days of your life are when you were born and then when you discover why you were born. God has given a gift to every person in the body and we just need to surface it. Again, the child of God has no idea what their true potential is. Some of us may disqualify ourselves because of laziness. Newton's first law of motion states that an object in motion tends to remain in motion and an object at rest tends to remain at rest. So laziness is a lifestyle for some people, but it's a temptation for all of us. It's just easier to not put forth the effort. As a parent, sometimes it's easier to just give in to your kid than to listen to their complaints as you make decisions to protect them. It's easier to stay home and not drive them to student ministry. Sometimes it's easier to just go along than to stand up to something. Or just doing the minimum amount possible at work, but still keeping your job. And if we've been a Christian for a while, we're gonna have to check ourselves for laziness. Now, you may remember a scene back in 2015 when a mom, Toya Graham, 
She learned that her son was involved with riots that were destroying the city. So this mom did something about it. Anderson Cooper asked her, were you concerned that you were gonna embarrass your child? She said, no. And then she said, I wasn't there to be recorded. I was there to get my child. And so whether you agree or disagree with the way she did it, I don't wanna get any emails tomorrow that you, about the way she did it. The point here is that the woman's all in. It would have been easier to just stay home and do nothing about it and let him go about his way, but the woman was all in. She cared about her son's character and she was there to save her child. Whether you agree or not, she, to have that kind of tenacity as a parent is admirable because she would do whatever it takes to save him. The Bible says, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Be all in. And then some of us disqualify ourselves because of selfishness. You simply just won't do it. Most of us are not gonna say, I'm sorry, I can't step up because I'm selfish. We might make it sound better and just say that we don't have time to do something that we really just don't have passion for. All of these disqualifiers that we've gone through are self-centeredness disguised as humility. From a distance, it can look like an actual reason. So we may not even realize that our disqualifiers are being passed off as a reason for not stepping up. Gideon says, I'm too weak. I, you can't use me. No matter which excuse you use, it's an arrogant one because it means that your dependency is on you. And we're saying it can't be done because I don't have what it takes. But all of us have the potential to do something. God doesn't just assign value the way that we do. He doesn't say these people are valuable and these people are not valuable. He doesn't view people that are in full-time ministry that are on the stage as more holy or special in their job description. He cares about each of us representing him where we are. And we all get to play that role. We all get a place at the table. We all have the potential to be used for a higher purpose because it's God working through us and all it takes is a commitment to what should be and all I have to do is say yes. God doesn't have us apply for the position. Our whole lives are the position and it's time to rise up. You and me, we are the right people to be used by God. And we were created for more than just earning an income and then saving up for retirement. When we don't live at our purpose, we get the case of the who cares. We're just surviving and not thriving. But we were created for significance and we're created to do something meaningful, something eternal, something that matters and we don't just bow our heads and close our eyes and yield to God. We bow our whole lives to God. So what's your next step? We're on a spiritual journey and there's a next step for all of us. No excuses. What's the next kind thing? For some, you may need to step into knowing God more because you're just not feeling any compassion or feeling any desire to do anything. You believe there's a God, but you need to be more connected with them. At our last beach baptism, 
there was a young man who got baptized. I want you to meet Kai. Kai is 21 years old. And when Gordon was getting ready to baptize him, he said, I'm the worst of sinners. He said, how is it that I deserve this? And Gordon assured him, he's not the worst of sinners because we all need God's forgiveness. And then after he was baptized, he put on a serve team shirt and just wanted to help. That's what people do who get it. Kai gets it. He, he gets that we don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve what God has given us. We don't do good things so that we can be saved. When we realize we're saved, it makes us wanna do good things. It makes us wanna step out. If your next step is to do something that matters, then it's time to get a plan together. Maybe you wanna get to know God better, then get into a life group, get into Rooted, starting point, start somewhere. We make a pathway for you to connect with God. But for others, it's just stepping out and doing something. What's that next thing that you can do? Ask God, show me what it is that I can do to make a difference in the world today. And He will answer your prayer. We all have the ability to do something for God. We were all designed for that, to live out our purpose. Let's pray. Father, I wanna thank you, first of all, that you would give us a free gift of salvation. And I thank you just like what Kai was saying when he was saying we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. You gave it to us freely. And now all we wanna do is give back. So Father, there's things that are hindering us. If there's things in our heart, in our thought life, fear, laziness, selfishness, whatever it is that we are holding ourselves back from doing, God, I pray that you would bring those to the surface and that we would repent of those and let those go and move forward in the life that you have for us. You've designed every human being with a purpose. And so I pray that you'd help us to be obedient to that and live out our purpose in you. In Jesus' name, amen.